You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest preaching for us for our revival services. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truths from His Word today. Good morning again. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Turn with us there, please. Lots and lots of things coming back to my thinking this morning, Brother Doyle and uh, Hoosier Hills Baptist Camp. And I look over here and I see this great group of this section right here. I'm so glad to see you guys this morning. Thank you for coming. Wonderful that you're uh, sitting here uh, listening to the greatest story that's ever been told. Greatest thing in all the world is that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And I remember when I was about your age and the Lord was beginning to deal with my heart uh, and about 10 years Ten years of age, I sat in a service one night, and a preacher preached a message that he called Jesus is knocking at your heart's door. And I knew that night that I was a sinner, and I knew that God cared about me, but I I didn't come to know Christ as my Savior for seven whole years later. But uh, Brother Doyle uh, and Hoosier Hills Baptist Camp uh, used to have, I haven't been by there for a while, but they used to have uh, their slogan up over the pulpit area. And I think it's a wonderful slogan. It says, it's easier to build boys and girls than to repair men and women. That's a great great statement, isn't it? Much easier to build boys and girls than to repair men and women. We got so many men and women that are in need of repair. Heard a little boy on the bus behind me the other day. I was sharing this with Brother Mike, I think, a while ago. <clears throat> About 10 years old, mischievous as a wharf rat, but he's a sweet kid. He's always smiling. And I have to keep my eye on him constantly. He and his brother live with a grandmother. And I overheard him talking with a little girl. He was sitting behind me. And uh, I heard her say something about his his mom and dad, he said, he said, my dad's in prison. He said, I think I might know where my mama is. <clears throat> I, uh, how many of you know what potted meat is? Do you all have that up here? If you don't have it, God bless you. You don't need it. Pray it never gets up here. Potted meat is a uh, byproduct. Now, when you, when you read byproduct, that can be anything, anything. Uh, and so uh, I've ate it years ago. I'm not too good to eat it, but as long as there's a pinto bean around, I don't want any potted meat. But uh, I was going through the bus the other day after I uh, dropped all the kids off, found a can of potted, or an empty can of potted meat. One of those kids ate that for breakfast. That was their breakfast, potted meat. So, uh, I'm saying that to tell you that the Lord has has put me where He has me to, I think, reawaken me to where we are societally. If if you don't get out much in in this world, uh, you, you may be losing track on how far down that we have really sunk. Um. The Corinthian letter is a very timely letter for the American church. 
And let's read a little of it this morning and uh, ask the Lord to help us. And then I'll give you what's on my heart. Let's, let's begin back up there again uh, in verse 1. And I'll read quickly, not a lot, but quickly. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, under the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf. And I want you to think about that. A troubled church, they were trouble uh, to Paul. They were, they were a, a burden to Paul. But he said, I thank God for you. And he says, always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. That in everything you're enriched by him in all utterance and all knowledge. Even as the, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope they got that. I hope that sunk in on that church. I believe it did. I hope it will sink in on you today that you can be blameless on the day of Jesus Christ. Not because of anything you've ever done or anything that you'll ever do. But you can be blameless because Christ Jesus took your place. You don't have to give an account for your sins. You don't have to stand before God and be judged for the iniquity of your heart that Christ died for you. That's a wonderful, wonderful truth. And Paul is admonishing the the Corinthian believers to think about that, that you'll be blameless on the day of Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Verse 9, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren. Now here's where we want to get into what we're going to look at for a little while. He said, I'm begging of you, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Let's pray. Father, quicken our hearts, our consciences, our minds today, Lord, to the truths that are before us. Lord, may these words, the text of Scripture, Holy Scripture, come alive, Lord, in our thinking, and in our understanding. Father, today may the power of the preached word be evident. We realize, Lord, keenly today, as always, Lord, this is not our work, it's yours. And Lord, we come today and yield ourselves in the only way that we know how as your servants. And we're asking, Lord, 
that hearts and lives will be touched and changed. Send revival, Lord, please, to us, your people. Lord, convict us where we need conviction. Stir us, Lord, where we need to be stirred. Awaken us, Lord, from our spiritual sleep. And we pray, Father, that before you come, and we're looking and longing for your coming today, but we pray, Lord, that the church might experience revival. For we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Well, it seems that as I get older, uh, when, I, when I begin to preach, I almost don't know where to start, Pastor. It, it's like there's so much that, that is on my heart and so much that I think the Lord would have to say to us as a church. Uh, the ministry that God has given to me and that He has burdened my heart for is to the local church. I think that, that without any question, that was Paul's desire, that was Paul's burden. Uh, he made the statement in one of his letters, he said all of the things that, that came upon him daily, and he mentioned in that, he said, the care of the church. Paul, uh, as a missionary, had established a multitude of churches, and, and he, he wore on his heart the burden and the responsibility for these people, these these newborn babes in Christ, and he, he, he was concerned about their attitude, and he was concerned about their walk with God. And, and so uh, I have a, a little, just a little bit of an understanding of what Paul was going through when he said, uh, he said, I, I'm, I'm wanting you to be of the same mind. Now, uh, I have to walk carefully here because... Uh, some people can misunderstand what I'm about to say uh, and call it an appeal to ecumenicalism, and that's not what it is at all. Uh, we can't, all denominations and all groups that claim to be children of God, we can't just join hands around the campfire and sing Kumbaya and think everything's going to be okay. Uh, there, are, there are vast differences, many great doctrinal differences among people who claim to all be of the same family. Now, that should not be, but it's nonetheless the way that it is. Uh, you, you don't have to get three or four believers together for long and let them start talking about anything until you'll find they're not going to agree on much, probably. It's just the way we are. And, uh, and it seems to me that we want to dwell on the things that we disagree on. I found that to be quite common. I found that a lot of times believers don't want to find common ground at the foot of the cross. They want to find out what separates you. Well, what do you believe about this? And what do you believe about that? Well, what, what about this? And what do you do about this? And how do you conduct this? And how does your church do that? And then as soon as you hit on something that you disagree on, they've got a little, they got a little fuel for their fire. Now, there's something wrong with that church. There's something wrong with the mentality of that. There's something wrong at the spiritual root of that. The Corinthian church suffered from it, and we're suffering from it in our day. We're not all going to believe everything alike. We're not all going to agree on every fine point of doctrine. Uh, and, and we've even gone to the point, I preached a message a few years ago in a, in a, a camp meeting style uh, environment, and there were several different denominations, I think, that particular night there, and I preached on the importance of, 
of doctrine, of biblical doctrine. And an old boy came up to me after I had preached my heart out, Brother Case, and he was a, he was a pastor in a, another denominational group, and he said, boy, you're right, preacher. He said, we just don't need doctrine. And I thought, man, did you sleep through it all? I don't, I don't know what he heard me say, but I was saying just the opposite of that. And, and so that tells me, you know, a lot of times people just don't get it. And you're not going to get it unless the Holy Spirit opens your spiritual ears to the truth. It's an amazing thing how two people can sit in the same service and hear the same message and get two entirely different things out of it. Now Paul is admonishing and pleading with and begging for the people of God in the Corinthian church to be without division. If that was true 2,000 years ago, I'll tell you it's, it's true today. That we are not divided. One of the oldest military tactics known to man is the tactic divide and conquer. Split the troops, divide the troops, and then conquer. Our enemy has been on the job for a lot longer than any of us here today have ever been around. He knows his job and he does his job well and he knows how to plant division among us. He knows how to make us look narrowly at the brother or sister in Christ that doesn't see it exactly the way that we see it. And then if we look narrowly at that person long enough, we'll begin to doubt their spiritual attitude. But the truth of the matter is, the Lord has helped me over the years by sometimes reading after men that I didn't even agree with, Pastor. Not on everything now. And uh, I think there's a danger when we always just follow somebody that we say, oh, this is a trustworthy person. Now, I know I'm trying to be careful right here. I don't want to give you bad advice. I'm talking, I think, primarily now to, to Christian leaders, the pastors and the Sunday school teachers. Easiest thing in the world is to read after people that already believe everything just like you believe it. But once in a while, you ought to read after somebody that disagrees with you somewhat. Now, I'm not talking about major. I'm not talking about they're, they're weak on the blood of Christ. They're weak on the atonement. They're weak on the word. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody that doesn't see every little line. They don't cross every little T and they don't dot every little I just like you do. And if you will expose yourself to some of that, I'll tell you one thing that it'll do for you. It'll make you pray more and it'll make you study harder. And you might just come to the conclusion that there are some people out there in the body of Christ that don't see everything exactly the way you are that are just as spiritual as you are. Now that's hard for us Baptists to swallow. We think we're going to be the only ones in heaven, I think, sometimes. Seems like we get the idea that we're going to be special when we get up there. I'll tell you the only special ones in heaven, those that are blood washed, those that are justified by the grace of God, those that have been caught up uh, in, this, in this great message of our great sin and the grace of God that is extended to us even while we are in our sin and that God saves us out of that and makes us new creatures in Christ Jesus. Those are the special ones in heaven. Not going to be in little categories over there, Baptist back to this way, and you know, Church of God over here, Pentecostals over here, Presbyterians up here on this side. Not going to be any of that when we get to heaven. 
Now, if we understand that, and I think that we all do this morning, then we need to look at what Paul is saying to this church. God is faithful, verse 9 says, by whom you were called under the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, look at what he says about division in verse 10. Uh, he says that it's been called to his attention by the house of Chloe that, that there is some distraction there. There's, there's some contentions in verse 11. Now, verse 12, he begins to deal with those contentions, and he says, This I say, that every one of you saith, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas. And then there was that super spiritual crowd that says, We're just following Christ. But the truth of the matter is that every one of these different sects had their own problems. Every one of these little groups had their own set of problems. And here's what happened. Obviously, some of them had been led to the Lord Jesus by the Apostle Paul, who wouldn't feel a special connection with the person that introduces you to the Lord Jesus. Everybody here, probably, who is a child of God can remember the time, I hope, when you heard the gospel and the Spirit of God convicted your heart with the gospel and the point in life where either in a church service like this or in a back bedroom of your home or somewhere away from everybody or maybe in the middle of a multitude, but you cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, save me. You probably remember the person who delivered the message, whether it be by a gospel track or someone who was praying for you or a preacher who was preaching to you. But listen, even though those things cause us to have fond memories in our heart for the person who is the messenger, remember, it's not healthy to fall in love with the mailman just because he brings you a check every month. It's not, it's not healthy to get too enraptured with the messenger. We have a tendency to do that. Americans certainly, I don't know a lot about other cultures, but Americans want to make heroes out of everybody. We do. I don't know why. That's just our makeup. And it doesn't matter whether it's a fellow that throws the ball through the hoop or carries it into the end zone. It doesn't matter whether it's the runner on the track or the drag racer or the NASCAR guy or the preacher in the pulpit. Sometimes we have a tendency, God help us, to elevate the man rather than the message that he's bringing to us. And denominationalism, as much as I realize we will never in this life break free of it. But I think that it's done a great harm to the way that we can sow the seed of the gospel. Because multitudes are following men rather than following the Holy Spirit. Now I want to park there just for a moment this morning. And this may be all I'll have to say. But I have to say this. To be a child of God who is in tune with the Holy Spirit enough to know as much as you can know what the Lord has called you to do is maybe the greatest thing you'll do as a child of God. To know the will of God for your life as God has revealed it to you as you pray and read the Bible. Don't look for some revelation. Don't look for some new thing. Don't look for an angel to come down in your bedroom. Don't hold the Word of God with one hand and your astrological chart with the other and say maybe somehow God will work in this and direct me. 
Don't read the Bible in the morning and then put your faith in the fortune cookie at lunch and say, well, this must be the Lord. That's not the Lord. That's not the Lord. That's somebody making a living selling fortune cookies. Uh, Don't look for men to be the voice of God in every situation that you face. Now, God calls ministers. God calls men like he called the Apostle Paul. He calls men like he's called your pastor and myself. But there are times when you need to hear from God and you'll only get that when you open your Bible and you pray. And if you're not careful, you'll be a man follower more than you're a follower of the Spirit of God. And we will depend upon men to give us what only God can give us. We meet collectively like this several times a week, hopefully. I know you folks do here. And we come together and somebody gets up and they open the book and they preach or teach to us out of the Word of God. And that's one of the most wonderful blessings that the New Testament church can enjoy. But you'll never get enough just on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night to get you through the turmoil of your life. There must be a time of personal devotion on your part to open the book and to seek the face of God. You've got to have that. You have absolutely got to have it. If we tried to get by physically the way many of us try to get by spiritually, we would literally be skin and bone. We have to be fed. And we cannot always depend on spiritual fast food. Now, some deliver it maybe better than others. We all have our favorite places to eat, and we all have those places that we say, I don't want to go there. Uh, I won't even name one this morning. I could, but when my family and I are out, there's one place that comes up. It's got golden arches over it. It's all I can tell you about it. But, but I'll say, anywhere but there will be fine with me. I said, anywhere but there will be all right. And I know the kids like it, and I know the Happy Meals are a great thing and all that, but God deliver me from McDonald's. <laughs> when, I, when I married my wife, uh, now I don't say this, I don't say this braggingly, uh, but uh, I had to teach her to make gravy. And so that was important to me that my wife could make gravy. And... and uh, Several years later, there were some young ladies in the church where I was married. Uh, I was pastoring, and they were going to get married to some young men. We had seen an influx there, and and they those young ladies uh, were were being proposed to by these young men. And I and I one day I said, you know what? I said, now I'm not going to marry any of you guys until the women know how to make gravy. <laughs> I said that ought to be a prerequisite. And, and honestly, I had some of those girls came over to my house, and my wife and I taught them how to make gravy. As far as I know, they're all still together. I don't know how many. But here's my point. I had to learn to make gravy myself. Now, you wonder why I would do that. Why would I go to the trouble to learn how to make gravy? I like it. You can tell that looking at me, can't you? I like it. Listen. I hear this all the time. People say, well, I go to such and such church. Well, why do you go there? Well, it's handy. It's close by. Uh, when, when my wife and I built our first little house, well, uh, from our bedroom, you walk down the hall and you'd pass my daughter's bedroom and you'd pass the utility room, my son's bedroom, and then there's the kitchen. And you know, in, in the walk down the hall, we would go by the utility room and when we had a dog, we kept a big sack of dog food in there. 
It was available to me anytime, 24-7 when I was at home. But you know what? I passed that up hundreds of times in order to get to the kitchen where the gravy and biscuit was. Are you with me? Because I could have ate dog food and I might have survived on it. But there was something better waiting for me down the hall. That might take a little work. Might take a little time. Might, might take a little effort on my part. Maybe a little effort on my wife's part. Maybe a little effort on both of us. We might actually have to work together. God help us. In order to get the table set. And in order to get everything put down. But the wait was worth it. And the meal was worth it. And it was a lot better even in the enjoyment and the nourishment than the dog food sack that was sitting there in the utility room. Now where I'm going with all this is find a place where the Word of God is being preached and go there and stay there and settle there and live there and pray there and raise your family there and stay with it until God moves you. It's worth it. It's worth the wait. Now, I'm preaching to the choir this morning. I know that. You folks have a wonderful church. I tell people all the time when, when somebody says something about, do you know of any good churches? I said, man, if you're close to Jackson, Michigan, I said, I could put you in a good one. And I'm saying that to honor your Lord, not to honor you. God has been good to Fellowship Baptist Church. God has blessed you because you have a giving heart, you have a loving heart, and you have a pastor that loves you and prays for you and weeps over you and preaches the Word of God to you and is concerned about you. But beyond Him, you have a Savior in heaven that loves you beyond all measure. We are loved by the great lover of the universe. We are held in the hollow of his hand. How ironic, how silly of us to lift up mortal man above the Savior who died for us. Paul said, some of you are saying, well, I'm of Apollos. I think that appealed. I believe that Apollos, the best I can find about him, I believe he was a great intellectual. I believe he had a wonderful brain. I believe that Apollos was a man that could hold an audience spellbound uh, with his oratory skill. I believe he was a man that was knowledgeable about the things of God and deep in Scripture and that appealed to the intellectual crowd. And so some of them began to gravitate towards Apollos and they became followers of Apollos. And they said, we really love old Apollos. Paul's all right, but he's a little bit weak in his presence, you know. Uh, he's got that affliction in the flesh and he ends up in jail a lot and you never know where he's going to come in with lice or not. He just never, you never know how, to, how you're going to find Paul. But old Apollos, man, he's polished. Apollos has got, he's got the kind of thing that I need. He's got the kind of impact that really, it scratches my itch. And so they gravitated to Apollos. Then some of them said, well, you know what, I, I can relate to Paul. I've been in jail and I know what it is and, and I know how it is. And, and by the way, Paul, you realize, was a Jew and Paul had come out of the school of Gamaliel and Paul knew something about the scriptures before God ever saved him. He was a religious lost man of the highest degree and he went about persecuting the church this new way that they were talking about. And he was having Christians locked up and put to death because of their stand for the Lord Jesus until that Damascus Road experience. And isn't it odd that the Holy Spirit of God arrested him there all by himself? Now, I don't know how to break this to you, but God doesn't have to have any of us. God doesn't have to have any of us. If, God forbid, we were to all perish in a moment of time, God would still be God. 
the gospel would still be true and it would still be proclaimed somewhere, somehow, by someone. I came to the conclusion years ago that when I pass off the scene, preaching will not end. That'll not be the end of preaching as we know it. That'll not be the end of Bible conferences as we know it. That'll not be the end of revival as we know it. It will be something that God in His time will take care of, but don't get too caught up in any man. Apollos followers, Paul followers, some that could relate to him, some that were Jewish in their descent, and they could relate to the message, and they could relate to the man. And then there were some, they said, well, you know, Oh, Simon Peter, Cephas, he, uh, he's rough, old boy. He's a, he's a fisherman. Uh, he could have had his own TV show if he'd lived in our day. And uh, they'd have been out there on the boat, you know, and they'd have been watching the rough and tough men and all the things that happened while they tried to fill their nets, you know. And so there were some of the men probably that could relate to Simon Peter. And they knew his weakness and they knew his impetuousness and they knew uh, about the failure in his life, but they also knew that he had been reconciled and that he had become this great pillar of strength in the church. So some of them gravitated over to Simon Peter and said, you know, we, we follow kind of in that crowd. So you already had three classes. You had the Apollos followers, you had the Paul followers, and you got the Cephas followers. And then you got the fourth bunch, and they said, well, you know what, we don't follow anybody but Jesus. You ever run into that crowd? Sometimes that's the hardest one to deal with. Because they are so exclusive, they won't listen to anybody. And, and they, they feel like that they can just go out here and, and just kind of be rebels on their own. They don't need anybody. They don't need to listen. They don't need to be taught. They don't need to be preached to. They're just followers of Jesus. Uh, several years ago, uh, we saw some of that that uh, kind of started out uh, in the California area. And, and, and the Jesus crowd, you know, kind of sprung up. And, and, and they were, you know, they were kind of the, I guess, the seed of the 70s hippie children, you know, and, the, and all of that that, that, that I kind of came up through. And uh, I look back on that, and, and I, I've seen a lot of things come and go in my years. But I'll tell you, the only thing that lasts is the gospel through it all. Through it all, after the dust settles, after the noise dies out, after the crowds go home, the only thing that matters is the truth of the gospel of Christ. It's not in the messenger. It's in the message. It's not who are you following, who do you love the best, who do you think's doing the best job, but is the gospel gripping your heart today? Do you feel the call of God? Does anybody here feel the call of God calling you to come and follow the Nazarene? Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. And he says, when you do that, I'm inviting you to die to yourself. That's a hard call. That's a hard call. I don't care who you are here today, you're under some kind of peer pressure. Everybody here is under some kind of peer pressure. If you're here and you're a school-aged child, a lot of times you'll hear people talk about peer pressure and doing this before your peers. But I will tell you, you never outgrow it. You never get to the place where somebody is not looking at you and you're a little bit concerned about how they're looking and what they're saying. All of us got a little of that in us, and it's in the church. And so we can learn how to conform to the religious crowd. We can learn how to be what they expect us to be. 
we can learn how to say what they expect us to say. I found that true in the ministry. I found it true that sometimes you'll go to a place and God will preach in a particular way through you or God will say something in a particular fashion through you and and somebody will say, maybe several people will say something about how the Lord has spoke to their heart and and, and they say kind things and, and then you're called to go back later and you remember what God did and you remember the kind things they said and you feel like, okay, well now they're going to expect that again but that may not be what God has the next time. See, preaching this week is not about making me look good or feel good. If it is, then it's just me doing it, and we've all wasted our time. Preaching is not just about lifting up the messenger. It's not about that at all. It never has been about that. It's not about the man bringing the message. It's about the message itself. So my plea to you this morning is look beyond the messenger, whether it be your own dear pastor a visiting preacher, a Sunday school teacher behind the podium, look beyond the messenger and listen to the message that God has for you. Get out of this clickishness. Get out of this man-following business. Get out of this stuff and say, I, listen, I've had my fill up to here of people wanting to know what school I went to. Well, whose school did you go to? Now, listen, I want to tell you, I'm for, I am for education. I wish I had more of it. I need more of it. But, but God kept me out of that, I think, for a purpose. God kept me away from that. And I've watched over the years how schools will gravitate towards people of their own school. People who go to this particular school will say, hey, that's the ones we want to have in. That's the ones that we're going to deal with. That's the ones we're going to try to build their ministry. Could it be that God has somebody at work outside your school? Could it be that God's big enough to be doing something with somebody that you don't agree with on everything? Could it be that some of those people that you don't dot every I and cross every T with could be under the influence of the Holy Ghost of God? Could it be that the family of God is bigger than just us under this tabernacle this morning? Could it be that God's at work in the multitudes out there in the highways and the byways and he's got his children scattered around this terrestrial ball and he's at work, church. God is at work. Sometimes when you least expect it, sometimes in ways and means that you have no idea about, God is working behind the scenes. Don't ever doubt that God can't take somebody that is not of our exact stripe and use them in a great way. Paul said there's divisions among you, and that troubles me. Some follow Apollos, some follow Simon Peter, some are following Paul, some say you're just following Christ. But he said, I want to know, is Christ divided? He said, was was Paul crucified for you? Paul was so concerned because of this thing in verse 17, and I'm done. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to do what? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words. Why? Lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. When we get too zeroed in on our favorite preachers, the cross can become blurry. We, we can forget what the message is all about, that it's not about the delivery. It's about the awful, terrible, wonderful cross of the Lord Jesus. 
the cross on which the Prince of Glory died. The cross where the Son of God came down to. Read Philippians 2 again sometime in your spare time. And you'll find that the one who spoke the worlds into being stepped down into a virgin's womb, was laid in the smelly, awful atmosphere of a cattle stall. If you'd been God, how would you have made your entry? (laughs) Probably not like that. The religious crowd would search the scriptures and they knew some of the prophecies, but they didn't want a king coming born in a lowly cattle stall. They wanted a king that would march out on the stage of history and call up the nation of Israel to the front and say, now you're my people and we're going to go out here and we're going to become a great name among everybody. But Jesus didn't come that way. He stepped down. The king of the universe, the creator of all, stepped down into humanity. But he wasn't done stepping down. He stepped down beyond that and the Bible says that he became obedient unto death. He stepped a little lower than men and he stepped a little lower than the angels and he became obedient unto death. I don't know how I'll die. You don't know how you'll die. But if the Lord doesn't come, we're all going to face it one day. Jesus knew that his His end was on the cross. He knew that he had come as the Messiah, the Redeemer. And he knew that he would end up transfixed on that piece of wood. The most cruel form of death known to man was the crucifixion. And Jesus endured that. He didn't just come and step down as a human. And he didn't come and just step down and die. But he came and he stepped down to die the death of a felon on the cross. To die as one who was the worst of the worst. And he didn't go into a swoon, by the way. You know that. He didn't go into a swoon and then come to in the coolness of the tomb, as some said. But he gave up the ghost, and he died on the cross. They laid him in a borrowed tomb, and three days later he got up victorious over death, hell, and the grave. The only one that's ever done that in all the history of man been nobody else, no other prophet, no other appointed, self-appointed God, no other self-appointed Savior had the power to stand up after the crucifixion and step back into the ivory palaces of glory some 40 days later. That's the Lord Jesus that we should be lifting up. Now, this morning I don't know about anybody's heart here. I know that my own heart is is terribly flawed. I know that Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. I'm glad I have found a Savior that knows all about me and He loves me anyway. (laughs) Knows me at my worst and He loves me just the same. He cares for my soul. He cares for you. You're not put on this planet just to make a few dollars And then pass off the scene. You're put here to take up your cross and follow the Lord Jesus. Dying to your ambitions, dying to your dreams, dying to your desires. That's what taking up the cross means. The Corinthian church had become so influenced by the Corinthian culture that they were failing in their Christianity. Has our culture permeated your life? Sometimes even religious culture can permeate our life and it can cloud the will of God for us. Men 
can get you out of the will of God. Good men, well-intentioned men, church members can get you out of the will of God by telling you, hey, I think you ought to do this. You ever had that advice? Hey, I think, you know, I've been watching. I think you ought to do this. Be careful right there. They're not the Holy Spirit. Be careful. Been many a young man that God, I think, had called to teach in the Sunday school class and the church got him out of the will of God telling him what a good preacher he'd make. You know, that's not, that's not playing second fiddle. If God's called you to teach a class, then that's what you need to be doing. That's not second fiddle. That's just obeying the will of God. But if we start getting in our eye, oh, I like the glamour. What glamour? What glamour? Go with Brother Case and his wife a while. Go with me for a while. I'll tell you, listen, if you're serving God, it's not a glamorous thing. It's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing to be in the will of God. But don't get in your eye this thing of spiritual glamour. Don't get in your eye this thing of spiritual hero worship. Die to self. Listen to the Spirit of God. Read your Bible and pray. That's as simple and the best advice I can give you. Seek the Lord in prayer and study of the Word. And you'll find the will of God if you want to find it. And God will give you the grace to follow Him and be obedient to Him if you're willing to do that. I want to tell you today, we don't want to be like the Corinthian believers were. Split up. Early church, early on, already split on who I'm going to follow. I don't want anybody following me. I want to point back to the cross and say there is the one. All eyes on the cross. All hearts broken at the cross. All wills left at the foot of the cross. Let's ask him to show us that this week. Let's stand just for a moment. Father, we desire your will for our lives. And Lord, in the den of modern society, it's uh, easy for us to lose our spiritual way. It's easy, Lord, for us to listen to the wrong voices. It's easy, Lord, to follow the wrong path. It's easy, Father, to become divided, fall into a group, Lord, that we think we got it all worked out. Lord, teach us this week to be followers of the risen Christ as we study the Word and as we pray. Lord, may we not be, as we believe this, this group in Corinthians was, arrogant when they said we're, we're only followers of Jesus. Lord, may it humble us. May it break us. May it bring us, Lord, often, daily, to the foot of the cross. May we realize, Lord, what you have done in redeeming us. May we recognize, Lord, the awful cost of our redemption and that we are servants, we are slaves unto Jesus Christ. And Father, that may be the most unpopular thing in modern society, but that's what you've called Christians too. May we, Lord, die to ourselves that we might live unto Christ Jesus. For we ask in His name and for His sake. Amen. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening 
Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.